0: Hello everyone, it is a great joy to be with you today as we worship with one another. And specifically today, we are coming to the end of the sermon series that we've been in focused on wisdom. And so this has been a great series to engage in together and I'm excited to explore with you what God has in store for us as we get ready to dive into God's word. So would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. First of all, I wanna thank you all for being a part of this series on wisdom. You will remember that over the last number of weeks, we have focused on this idea when it comes to wisdom, and that is wisdom is the ongoing application of God's truth and knowledge to our circumstances. And again, I'm so grateful for the many ways that I've heard so many different people applying God's knowledge in various situations to live into wisdom. Thank you to all of you who have been engaging in the wisdom devotionals that we've used as an entire church. Uh, It was pretty exciting when this series began, we actually had to print off more copies four weeks in a row because people just kept taking them. So, I'm so glad that so many people have been using them and finding value in them. I want to offer a special word of thanks to both Pastor Janet and Mike Rogers. Those of you that know Mike might know that he's a teacher, uh, he's a dad, he is a life group leader, and he has a passion in his teaching to help share the Word of God and he worked with Pastor Janet, who is our teaching pastor, and they created the devotionals we've used from scratch. We've had a lot of people ask, where did those come from? Uh, Mike and Janet created those. They used some other resources or referenced some other resources, but they're the ones that came up with the devotionals, and I'm so grateful for their work. I really think they did a terrific job, and based on what you've shared, you feel like they've done a terrific job as well. I also just want to express appreciation to all of our life groups, to our youth ministry, Fuse, to our children's ministry. We've had so many people align around this issue of wisdom that it's created a sense of unity as we've launched into the fall together. And finally, again, I just want to thank you because I've heard, again, just a number of instances where you all have shared in one way or another how you are trying to apply God's knowledge, God's teaching into specific situations in your life in all kinds of very practical ways, whether that's been knowing God or seeking to restore broken relationships or dealing and healing from anger or realizing how dangerous and destructive our pride can be, or we're dealing with the issue of suffering or realizing God's plans no matter what situation we are in. I know that when we started this particular sermon series, uh, there were a number of us that were sort of wondering, Proverbs, just how deep can we go with Proverbs? Because they are these short, pithy little sayings. Again, how deep can we really go? But it's been so good and refreshing to hear how valuable this study on Proverbs has been. And especially because it's offered a really practical element. There've been so many relevant uh, issues in our lives that have allowed us to literally practice putting God's knowledge into our realities and to live into. So thank you so much, not just for listening about wisdom, but really trying to apply it in your life. And so now today, as we come to the end of this series, I want to ask us in some ways to end as we began. We want to remember where and how wisdom begins and that is with the fear of the Lord. So we hear in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, here's what I want us to realize today. We often carry a negative connotation when it comes to fear. We might think of things that cause us terror, maybe not able to approach something, maybe something that paralyzes us out of fear. So whether it's snakes or fear of heights or fear of public speaking, I know of one person they have a fear when it comes to an octopus or oh, whatever it is for you, we often associate fear in that negative way. But what I want us to realize today is that when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, the ultimate result is actually the experiencing of God's goodness. More specifically, the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom, which allows us to experience God's goodness, God's grace, and God's glory. And this is one of the main reasons that we have focused on this sermon series. We want everyone to have the best life possible, to experience the greatest amount of goodness in Jesus Christ whenever and wherever possible. Again, we want everyone to have the best life possible. And that means experiencing God's goodness, God's grace, God's glory. But here's the kicker. The goodness and the grace and the glory that comes in life in Christ comes to us, but often not in ways that we would expect. Often not even in ways that we would want. Because many of us want to experience goodness and grace and everything else in easy ways in pain-free ways, in comfortable ways, and sometimes that can absolutely occur. But when we're talking only about getting to go on a cruise because it's wonderful, or only getting a nice new car, a car that we want, or finding the kind of food that we love to eat, or being able to get a king size bed so that we can be comfortable, those are not the things we're talking about, which in the end will allow us to experience God's goodness, grace, and glory. When it comes to God's wisdom, grace, and glory, that comes from God's wisdom, not our own wisdom. And God's wisdom looks very, very different than ours. The grace and the glory that comes from God's wisdom comes to us in the most countercultural of ways. It comes in ways that are foreign and not natural to us. And it comes to us in ways that look so different than the rest of the world or what our natural inclinations would be, even ways that are odd to us. Probably the best place and summary that I know of this countercultural notion of experiencing God's goodness is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 2 through 12, where Jesus is sharing in the Sermon on the Mount. And just listen to what he says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <laughs> There's a part of me that wants to say, Really, God? Please hear this blessing that, you know, goodness. Through mourning? Finding blessing or grace? Through persecution? Finding blessing or glory? Through being poor in spirit? Rejoice and be glad in meekness and mercy when insulted. Really? And Jesus says, yes. Because of these things, this kind of wisdom, these are the things that will ultimately lead to God's goodness, grace, and glory. To say this is a different kind of wisdom then would be a significant understatement. It takes a rewiring of our brains and our bodies to understand this is not a downer to an invitation to be a doormat in life or a life of sheer deprivation, but rather it's a pathway to a different kind of goodness and grace and glory. And this is where God's wisdom is so very different than our own. And so we have to practice God's wisdom with great intentionality over and over and over again, step by step by step. I recently came across this little story that I wanted to share with you. A man observed a woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in her shopping cart. As they passed the cookie section, the little girl asked for cookies and her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and fuss, and the mother said quietly, Now, Monica, we just have a few more aisles to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be too long. Soon they came to the candy aisle, and the little girl again raised a shout for the candy. And when she was told she couldn't have it, she began to cry. The mother said, There, there, Monica, don't cry. Only two more aisles to go. Then we'll be checking out. When they got to the checkout stand, the little girl immediately began to clamor for the gum and burst into a terrible tantrum upon discovering there would be no gum purchased for her. And the mother patiently said, Monica, we will be through this checkout stand in five minutes. Then you can go home and you can have a nice nap. The man followed the mother and girl out to the parking lot, and he stopped the woman, he stopped the mom to compliment her. And he said, I could not help but notice how patient you were with your little girl, Monica. To which the mother looked at the man and said, I'm Monica. My little girl's name is Tammy. It's so true, isn't it? We all need that kind of intentionality with ourselves almost to self talk our way through whatever situation we find ourselves in so that our emotions do not get the better of us. Now, in that story that I just shared with you, the mother had to work really, really hard to keep her own emotions in check. She had to be disciplined in how she responded. She had to make sure she didn't just lose it, even if she wanted to lose it, on her little girl. She chose to be merciful, even if it wasn't easy. Now, normally we don't like to be disciplined. We don't like restraining ourselves. We don't like to have to be merciful. But what was the result of that mother's discipline and intentionality with her daughter? One, she didn't lose it and looked like a fool in front of everyone else. Two, her child received positive feedback rather than an unnecessary tongue lashing. And three, she modeled something so differently something so good and beautiful that a complete stranger took notice of it and even approached her about it. We could say that it was good. By living into this different wisdom, a wisdom filled with mercy and intentionality, even against her own inclinations, something good was offered. God's grace is like that. God's wisdom is like that. We experience the goodness of it in ways that often come counterculturally to us. And as the people of God, we seek to take each moment as it comes so that we can apply God's wisdom into whatever situation we find ourselves with great intentionality, even when it doesn't come easily, even when it's incredibly hard. Keeping all of that in mind, I want to ask us to focus for a few minutes on the scripture passage we've heard shared with us today in Psalm 113, verses 1 to 9. I think this is a helpful passage because it helps lead us to God's goodness and grace and mercy, but it does this in ways that surprise us, in ways that do not come naturally to us. And so we need to ask for God's wisdom to live into God's grace and glory as we unpack this scripture together. So look with me in Psalm 113, and we're going to look specifically at verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now I wanna ask us to pay attention to the imagery here. God raises up the poor, God raises up the needy, and picture again in your mind this imagery. The first part of this verse references those who are literally sitting in dust. Now that means you're either homeless or you are sitting in a facility or a home where you don't even have the resources to put a decent floor on the ground. Many years ago, my wife Jen went on a trip to Belize. It was a cross-cultural trip. And the family that she stayed with when she was in Belize, they did not have a real floor in their home. It was just a literally a dirt floor because of the poverty that they were in. So that's some of the imagery given. But then notice the second part of the verse, we hear a reference to lifting the needy from the ash heap. Now, this reference to the ash heap is a reference to the poorest of the poor. And to understand that, we have to understand how life was in ancient times. The people who lived in cities would carry all of their garbage to just outside the city and create giant piles of rubbish and trash. Then they would burn and incinerate that garbage to get rid of it so that only piles of ashes were left. And then it was the poorest of the poor who would come out and rummage through those ash heaps in the hopes of finding a scrap of food or something valuable that they could use. So when we hear of these ash heaps and people being lifted up from the ash heaps, these are the poorest of the poor as they're literally scavenging for food and something of worth in the ash heap. And yet what we're told in this verse is that God loves these people and that God will lift them up from this lowest of low places so that over and over again in Scripture, we have this imagery of God on high, God in the highest of heavens, stooping down to be with those without wealth or without power, to bring them up. And while we don't always know exactly what the lifting up will entail, we can be sure that it relates in some form to experiencing God's goodness, God's grace, and God's glory, because that's how this God works. There are times in Scripture when it's clear that the righteous are rewarded with what we would consider to be the blessing of wealth and the good life. So if you look at Proverbs 22, 4, Proverbs 10, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, Those are some examples where if you do the righteous thing, it seems to lead directly to the good life of blessing. But Proverbs are just as clear that God's goodness and grace and glory often come in ways we would not expect, maybe even in spite of ways that we would expect. So look with me, Proverbs 13, 7, it says, One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Proverbs 14:31 Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 18:23 The poor plead for mercy but the rich answer harshly. It's not just in Proverbs we, that we hear this bent towards the poor. The ark of all of scripture is one that allows us to see the God of the universe offering goodness and grace and glory in the most unexpected, upside-down ways. Remember how a few weeks ago we saw that in Scripture, God often chooses the second son, not the first one to be the difference maker, which would have been so countercultural. Remember how so often in Scripture, God uses women and their voice in many societies to advance God's kingdom. Remember how it's God's own Son, the Lord of Lords in the highest of high places, who comes down low in order to offer the world goodness, grace, and glory. And remember how all earthly kingdoms, no matter how powerful, all earthly empires, no matter how significant, eventually with time fade away. And yet the life of Christ endures. So it becomes clear that to embrace God's wisdom means we must often embrace the low way over the high way. So very often the way that God usually works in this world is in the most unexpected ways, the low ways over the highways, the non-powerful over the powerful, the poor and the outcast over the rich and wealthy. We have to understand repeatedly Christianity has offered an abundance of God's goodness and grace and glory in the least powerful places. For example, Tim Keller shares that Christianity is currently growing 10 times faster in Africa, Latin America, and Asia than it is in America. Did you know that there are more Presbyterians in Ghana than all of America and Scotland put together? Now, who would have thought of that? There are four times more Anglicans in Uganda than all of America, and there are three times more Anglicans in Nigeria than all of Britain and America combined. That's how this God works. It's not that God loves middle-class people less or rich people less. In fact, those individuals are needed. We need everyone to be offering their resources so that ministry can happen, so that we can do things like transform and code blue and helping hand and, you know, uh, to be able to fix facilities and just whatever it is that we might need. We need resources from individuals and we thank God for those people. It's just that when we have enough, whatever that tends to be, we then have a natural tendency to not depend on God as much because we feel like we're already okay. We have enough. We don't need God or anyone else. And when that is our mindset, we then miss out on God's goodness, grace, and glory. The Bible says we must be born again, saved by grace, repent, trust completely in Jesus. That's often not welcome news to those who already have enough or think they're okay or think they don't need to rely on anyone else. When we think we're good enough on our own, when we think that we can rely on our own goodness, our own resources, our own glory, then we'll miss out on God's goodness and God's glory. The message of the Bible is that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. None of us are good enough. None of us are wealthy enough. All of us need a goodness and grace and glory beyond ourselves. And therefore, we have to rely totally in faith on the grace of Jesus Christ. And there we find life. Now, the poor get that. Because they don't have anything else. They already have nothing. So the only way for them to go is up. Their only choice is to throw themselves on the mercy and grace and goodness of God. And so they get the gospel more innately than those who tend to have resources. And when they do that, God uses the poor and the outcast in the most powerful ways. God lets them experience and share in God's goodness and grace and glory for themselves and with others. It's not just the materially poor that God uses, God also uses the emotionally poor. Look what it says in Psalm 113 verse nine. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Now we cannot be given a more powerful image of the brokenhearted than this image of a childless woman in ancient times. Why? Because in ancient times, the number of children that you had determined your security. Those children were your retirement, they were your social security. It's the only way that you could ensure your future security. So you had as many children as you could because it was a really big deal. And if you could not have children, you lost everything. So you lost your value in the present because you had no children, but you also lost your hope for the future. And this is especially true for Hebrew women. As Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann says, whenever you come to a place in the Bible where it's talking about barren women, the barrenness in a Hebrew text is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. Because it means there's no foreseeable future for you or your family. And there's no human power to invent a future for you. For Hebrew women, again, this is even more significant because God had told Israel that God would use them to redeem the world and that God would create a new society through them. God had said out of them will come a savior for the world. The Israelite people did not know how this would happen, but the Israelite women knew they could do something that men could not do. When they gave birth, they were contributing to God's plan of salvation for the world. When they gave birth, they were contributing to God's hope for the world. Therefore, if a woman was barren in the Hebrew culture, she could not participate in that storyline of salvation. So it left them even more hopeless, even more destitute, even more forlorn, even more devastated. And yet it's to these barren hopeless devastated women god repeatedly comes to and uses is it any wonder that hannah in the old testament sings with joy when she finds out after so long of not being able to have a child she's able to have her child samuel god has used her god raises up Samuel through her to help redeem God's people. Is it any wonder that Mary sings a wonderful Magnificat when she, a poor woman from an out-of-the-way, unknown place, has the privilege of not carrying just a son but God's son and bring him into the world, that she could experience God's goodness and grace and glory. Now, no doubt for Mary, there was fear as well. What did it mean to carry God's only child? And yet through that fear, it led to an embracing of God's goodness, grace, and glory for herself and the rest of the world as she would offer Jesus into this world. See, again, it's the fear of the Lord that leads to a wisdom that lets us experience God's goodness in our world. And we see it over and over and over. No one in the Bible ever seems to be used by God other than through their weakness and brokenness and loss. God did not bring salvation into our world by being strong. Jesus did it by giving up power, by being weak, by trusting in God for the overthrow of evil, for the defeat of death and the inauguration of salvation in our world. It came through giving up, not through superpower and might. In today's Psalm one thirteen verse seven, we hear of this reference to the need for being raised up from the ash heap. Nowhere was that more true than for Jesus himself, because Jesus went to the ultimate ash heap. The Hebrew and Greek word for hell is the word Gehenna. It's literally a reference to the burning of rubbish heaps. It is the fire and flame of garbage being incinerated. Jesus went to the ultimate ash heap for you and for me, and then God lifted him up from there so that you and I could know his love and grace and beauty. We were made for God. But if we ever center on anything else other than God, if we ever center on other ash heaps, we will miss out on God's goodness and grace and glory. This is the essence of godly wisdom. To the degree that we understand this is the degree to which we will live into a life of wisdom that leads to God's goodness, God's grace, and God's glory. Now, this is so different than what the world often lives by, but it's the kind of wisdom that does lead to new life that you and I have the opportunity to embrace. Now, if you've been tracking with me through these minutes here today, you might at this point have a a feeling almost of like, whoa, just wait a minute. This is a lot. This is heavy. This is good, but it's just, it's a lot. It's, It's heavy. Is it really good news? So here's the thing. In choosing the lesser way, even in choosing the more difficult way, in choosing the way of humility, in choosing a way that is not as comfortable to us, please hear me say that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's precisely in the pouring out. It's in the getting out of our comfort zones that can lead to the goodness and the grace and the glory. And when we get our minds around this and when we bring our actions into alignment with it, then we'll find ourselves walking in godly wisdom. Again, I've been so encouraged by a number of you in this particular sermon series On the ways you've been seeking to apply wisdom in your life and, and hearing of some of the ways that's making a difference. One of you shared with me there had been some significant brokenness in your relationship with one of your siblings. You applied some of the elements from Pastor Janet's sermon on healing of broken relationships. There was apology, there was the offering of humility. There was the pouring out of self in a way that might've been uncomfortable, and yet the result has been healing where there was brokenness. A step forward rather than backwards. Do you hear it? A wisdom leading to goodness and grace and glory. To get ready for the fall kickoff, individuals uh, did a variety of things to help us do that. We had a couple of particular individuals who in preparation for the fall kickoff, gave a lot of time and attention to redoing the space in the Christian Life Center in the worship space that we use. They literally gave up days to come and paint, to come and redo some things that were broken, to come and serve, literally sweating in that space. Not exactly comfortable or luxurious, but they poured themselves out in a way that our world would not describe as overly comfortable. And yet the result has been new life and vitality. Uh, That service currently has about double what we did a year ago. Do you hear it? A wisdom of pouring oneself out, leading to goodness and grace and glory. A number of months ago, one of you came to me. You have significant health issues. You're frequently in pain. You don't have a lot of extra resources at your disposal. And yet with a joy that could not be hidden, you approached me and said how much God had done for you. And you wanted to make a significant gift to the church in God's honor because of that. It's money you didn't necessarily have to give by earthly standards. Some may have even said that wasn't the wisest thing to do if you didn't use those resources on yourself. And yet you gave with joy. And what was the result? not just support for the ministries of this place, not just for the furthering of transformation in Jesus Christ, but for this particular individual, you couldn't wipe the smile off their face. In their giving, it gave such joy. Do you hear it? (laughs) A wisdom of pouring oneself out, leading to goodness and grace and glory. This is godly wisdom. So how can we together Live into this fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom where we experience God's grace and glory. We could offer a number of ways, but one quick concrete way today is this we can give. And if we are comfortable, if we're not feeling needy, we're probably not going to like that. But I mean it give. Really, really give. I'm not asking you to give everything away, I'm not asking you to become destitute. I am asking you to give in a way, though, that you can feel it through your money, through your resources, through your time. And I'm not talking just a little money to charity or, oh, the church needs more money or anything like that, or the church needs something else. I'm talking about giving in a way that somehow affects your lifestyle, that you at least have to think about it in some way so that it causes us to rethink and readjust and and ask who we truly rely upon. And if we can give to that degree, to the degree it will actually bring us down a little bit. Do you know why that's a good thing? Because then God can lift us up. When we are brought low, God lifts up the needy. And then we can experience God's goodness and grace and glory as only God can offer them through God's holy, wonderful, powerful wisdom. Church, can we fear God more than our own poverty or comfort, more than our own desires. If we can, we will experience a wisdom that leads to goodness and grace and glory, more than we could have imagined, because it will help us to live like Jesus. Jesus won through losing. Jesus got power by giving it away. Jesus ruled through service and Jesus got wealthy by offering it to others. And this is the way that leads to God's glory. This is God's wisdom. So be encouraged, church. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. May God give us the wisdom to become creatures of splendid grace, goodness, and glory. Thanks be to God.